Looking primarily at a text in Hebrews chapter 12 today. In Hebrews 12. So if you would open your Bibles to that chapter, put a finger in it. We'll, we'll, we'll flash back to the, the Pentecost message a little bit. But just keeping in mind that, yes, we're, we're reading the passage of Pentecost Sunday to keep that fresh in your memory. But that's coming up on June the 8th. That's the day that we'll focus on that. So between now and then, we're just studying several nuances of, uh, of the Holy Spirit and particularly uh, aspects of fire. Because we find in Pentecost that, that the Holy Spirit descended on people in what seemed like tongues of fire. So we're, we're studying the metaphors that go along with that. And, and so today we're going to be looking at an interesting concept. Last week we talked about refining fire. Today we're going to be talking about consuming fire. And I just want to be completely honest with you that for many years of my life, that term has been kind of a, a fearsome term. Whenever I would go to my grandma's house every year for Thanksgiving, uh, my grandmother always seemed to mention that whenever I would eat Thanksgiving dinner, that I consumed my lunch. Now, that meant certain things to me. I knew how I ate. All you saw were elbows flying. So when she would say, you consumed your meal, I looked at it like I destroyed that meal. I got all up in it, and I enjoyed it, and I obliterated it, all right? Now, shortly after that, and for several years, you know, my father was an insurance adjuster, and he was very good at what he did because he loved it. And, and we would be going down the road, and if he saw smoke, he had to go and to see the fire. He had to go and assess it. If there was a car wreck, he had to stop on the side of the road, and he had to go and investigate. And he would always say, it's okay, I'm an insurance adjuster. And they're like, we don't care. Get out of here. Um, but my dad loved to look at stuff like that. And there were many times I was riding with him, and we would come across a house fire. And one in particular, we were called to investigate the day after. And so we went and we looked at this house structure that was almost completely destroyed by fire. And the thing that stood out to me was that there was a house on both sides that half of those houses were also consumed. And I remember Dad teaching me as he would show me these things. And he would say that when a blaze gets to a certain temperature, that it can consume almost anything in its path. And at the right temperature, it can consume anything. And so when I would read in the Bible about our God is a consuming fire, that didn't bring feel-good bumps to me. Because what that meant to me is, my God, if he is a consuming fire, that means he is a destroying fire. He is a destroying God that has the capacity to obliterate me. And so when we would talk about that in our little Baptist church, I'd say, I don't want to talk about God being a consuming fire. I just don't want to do that. But later I learned that consuming can mean to destroy and to engulf and to, and to completely, um, uh, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, just destroy it. That's all I can think of. Eradicate. That's a good word. I like that word. Don't ask me to spell it, but I like it. <laughs> but God can also, the word consuming can also mean to be consumed with something. Because uh, I remember my mom, you know, she was, she was awesome. 
in, in certain regards. And one of the things that she was so awesome with is when I was be playing my games, and back then it was called in television. Yeah, it was a whole different ball game back then. We, we played, you know, Pong and some of those games. But my mom would call and she would say, you are so consumed with your games. And then I started learning, ah, oh, consuming is not only about destroying, it's about enjoying. It's about encompassing. It's about completely overwhelming and just being completely inundated with something. So then I started reading about God's consuming fire, and I thought, my God is a God who wants to consume me, who wants to infiltrate me, that wants to completely surround me and wrap me up into himself. And that is a picture of God that I want to focus on. So when we look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12, let's read through some of this. Uh, I don't know how detailed we'll get, but I just want to uh, go through some of the aspects of what is being talked about here. He says in verse 14 of Hebrews 12, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble inside of you because it will defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. So what, what the writer here is saying is, that when it comes to this concept of God and this presence of God and the all-consuming aspects of who God is with this fire that burns inside of him for us, he says, first of all, you need to know that you need to set yourself apart from the rest of the world and be holy. It doesn't say to achieve holiness or to get holiness. It says to be holy, which means to maintain an element of holiness in your life. Why is that important? He says, because without holiness, you cannot see God. Now, we can spend this time talking about when we get to heaven and what it's going to be like and and how our relationship is going to be with God. We can talk about that, but for, for practical purpose, I want to talk about right now here on earth. Because, you know, this world is ugly and, and, and we're Christian people. We're people who follow the ways of Christ, that we want to be Christ-like. And so when it comes to being holy here on earth, I think the same is true. If you want to see the face of God, if you want to see the face of Christ in this world, then we need to set ourselves apart from the world and live a life of holiness. Because we can see God. We can see him. We can see his face. We can see the effects of his life. And I don't know about you, but I like that. I want to see him. When I pray, I try to envision his face. I try to envision him walking towards me and speaking to me. It does something to me. I don't know why. Man, I'm just weird. I don't know. But it does something. When I'm praising and worshiping in church, I like to picture my God seated upon his throne. And we're we're lifting our hands, our hearts to him. And we're saying, I love this God. I love you. And I want to be part of you. I want more of you in my life. And he's saying that if you want anything like that, the only way that's going to happen is if you strive for holiness. That you have to eliminate the the temptation for sexual immorality to get inside of us. We have to eliminate 
this eradication of peace in our lives. We want it in our lives. We don't want it eradicated. We want to have a life of peace, and, and we want to be at peace with everyone. And so that will bring us to holiness. And, and also, we have to make sure that these bitter roots don't grow up in our lives and cause us to stumble or cause trouble in our lives. And we're in control of those bitter roots. Bitterness is something we allow to happen in us because somebody said something we didn't like or they did, they did something we don't like or they're just being something we don't like. And so we let bitterness grow up inside of us and it chokes out the holiness that could be there. So he has a whole list of these things. Don't act like this. Don't be godless. Let, let the Holy Spirit do its work in you. Seek holiness. Get away from all the sinfulness. Because this is what he says in verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was being commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. See, this, this God that we worship, that we serve, that we long to be reunited with is the epitome of holiness and the epitome of purity, the epitome of all that is good, love, for example. Everything amazing is God. That's all he is, and that's what he is all day long, is total perfection and love and grace and good and all of that. But it says that we can't just come up to him and start talking to him and, and touch him uh, we just can't do that because of the blemishes in our lives. We have to go through a transformation process that's still to come. I believe it's 2 Corinthians 5 that says that today we live in an earthly tent that has blemishes and it's tainted and it has uh, certain limitations. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be given a new body. And then we'll be able to enter into the presence of God and have true, meaningful relationship with him and, and focus upon his face and enjoy his presence. But here on earth, we just can't do it. We can't touch him. We can't hear him. And, and, and think about this. <coughs> Excuse me. That when God speaks, that his voice is so perfect, his words are so penetrating and so convicting, that when we hear his voice now, that we would say, God, please don't talk to me. Don't say another word. I can't handle it anymore. Don't speak to me because you're so beautiful and so perfect and I'm so defiled. Think about in Isaiah chapter 5 or 6 when uh, it says that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up on his throne and his train filled the temple. And I was standing in presence of him thinking, oh, but I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't see this. This was just a vision. But he was, he was shaken to the core of his being because he was in the presence of a living God. And it was because of one of the seraphs, one of those weird looking creatures with six wings Two wings covered its eyes because it couldn't see God. Two wings were covering its feet because of the holiness factor. And two wings were flying, right? And then one of the seraphs grabbed a hot coal, brought it to Isaiah, and touched his lips and purified his mouth. And then God called him, commissioned him to be a prophet to the nations. Think about that. But God, if he, speaks, if he were to speak to us right now, we'd say, God, please stop. I can't handle it. You're killing me. You're killing me with your perfect your perfection. And think about this. The scriptures say this about Moses. He was the only one in the Old Testament, only one, 
who had the ability to speak to God as a man speaks to another man. And even Moses at, the, at, at Mount Sinai in the presence of God, even Moses said, I am trembling with fear. This is, this is I'm just trying to establish something. Our God is more amazing than you're ever going to know in this lifetime. You can dig and dig and dig. You can write books, books, books. You can pray, pray, pray. You're still never going to scratch the surface of how awesome he is, how beautiful he is, how perfect he is, how deep his love is for you, how amazing he is, and how worthy of our worship he is. We will never know in this lifetime. What he's trying to say is a lot of people don't care. A lot of people are content just, I know who God is. I'll go to heaven when I die, you know, because I got Jesus in my heart. I'm good with that. I don't need anything else. But you fail to understand one serious quality of God. He is a consuming fire. He wants to consume your life. He wants to be your whole life. He wants to wrap you up into himself so that he can love on you in a way that you deserve to be loved, but don't think that you deserve to be loved because of the bag of goods the world has sold you that you're defiled and you're disgusting and you're ugly. So just don't waste God's time. In verse 22, he's remedying the situation by saying this, but you have come to Mount Zion, the the human city, the fleshly city, the holy city of Jerusalem. This is a whole different paradigm shift from the Old Testament to the now. Because of the redemptive work of Christ, now we can go to the holy temple. Now we can go to the place where God is. He says, this is the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel ever could. When we come into Jerusalem, when we come into Mount Zion, we now have access to God because of what Jesus has done to make it possible. He is in the process of transforming us into the image of himself. We have access, not complete and total access like we will in our eternal home, but we have access now to the Father through our prayers, through our imagery, through our scriptures. He says in 25, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Isn't it interesting that he inserts this powerful verse, this this powerful sentence right in the middle of this thought flow. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. There are many who, if they were to hear the voice of God, or if he were to call their names in prayer and say, I want you to come and to find me. I want you to go to my son Jesus and find salvation. I want you to talk to me in prayer. When he, if you were to hear his voice, there are many people who would say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. I, don't, I think God's a crutch. I don't think that's real. I don't know what, who planted that seed in my head, but I don't want anything to do with it. He says, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. But there's also a lot of people, and we know we exist. We've all been there before at some point probably, and some may still be stuck there where you have a preconceived notion of who God is and what God does and how God functions, how he speaks, how he moves, how he acts. And so you've already predetermined by your theological position 
that God is not capable of taking me further than where I am right now at this moment. God is not capable of speaking to me at a place that makes me shake or tremble. God is not capable of of doing something with my life because I am going to determine what I do with my life. We have to remind ourselves that the only unforgivable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which means to give, to make it void of all power. And so if we were to sit here and say, God can't do this, and God won't do this, and the Holy Spirit can't do this, and it shouldn't do that, then we are limiting God, which is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes knocking on your heart's door and says to you, I want you to go visit this person in the prison, and you're like, nope, I'm not doing it. That's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When, whenever uh, the Holy Spirit says, I want to take your relationship deeper with me. I want you to pray. I want you to fast. I want you to walk with me. And you're like, no, God, I don't want to do that. Then you're resisting the Holy Spirit. You are refusing him who speaks to you. It says that if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, How much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removal of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have received, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. When I read this passage of scripture, there's several stories that pop into my head. I'm not going to go into all those stories in great detail, but let me just refresh your memory of some of those stories. For example, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses was out in the fields watching the flocks, right? And he was just doing his thing that he had been doing for several years. And he walked by a bush that was on fire, but that was not what interested him. Because many times in the desert, bushes would catch on fire for whatever reason or be ignited from somebody walking by, you know, with cigarette. I don't know. But anyway... It was the fact that the bush was on fire, but it was not being consumed that got Moses' attention. And when Moses turned and went back, God spoke to him out of the bush, and they had a little conversation. The first thing that God said was this, you might want to take off your shoes because this is holy ground. One of the things I think is interesting, that when you're talking about a consuming fire, a consuming God, God consumes, but he also doesn't consume. What's the difference? The scriptures seem to imply that God doesn't consume that which is holy, only that which is unholy. I'm talking about the destructive form of consummation or consuming, whatever. So when the bush was burning and he said, this is holy ground, that includes the bush that was sitting on the holy ground. Everything in that area was, in, was encompassed with, with holiness. And so that's why it wasn't consumed. 
And when Moses stepped onto the ground, he was consumed but not destroyed because of the holiness that was encapsulating him and engulfing him. Let me give you a different story. In Daniel chapter 3, I believe it is, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the three uh, Jews that were in the land of Babylon serving the king Nebuchadnezzar there. And, and they were very loyal to God, their God, Yahweh, just as Daniel was. And so Nebuchadnezzar built this 90-foot statue of gold, and he wanted everybody in the kingdom to bow down and worship it any time they were to hear the, the herald pronounce on music or in music. But these men were not going to do that because of their devotion to God. And so whenever the, the trumpets would sound, the lyre, the zither, all the other instruments, everyone in the kingdom would bow down except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, knowing that if they did not bow down, they would be disciplined rather harshly. The scriptures say that they would be thrown into a burning furnace Now, I know I was just here at Daniel. There you are, Daniel. But regardless, because of their convictions and their love affair with God, they couldn't compromise their values. And so they were brought to the king, and they said to the king, we're guilty of this. You're right. We're guilty. We will not. We have not bowed down to your statue. We just can't do that. So if you continue to expect it, you have to be continually expecting us to disobey. And to this, the king got very angry. And it's interesting that several times he says this, beginning of verse 13, I think that is. Yes. It says that he was furious with rage, and Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before him. And Nebuchadnezzar said, is it true? They said, yes, it's true. He says in verse 15, now, if you will, when you hear the music, if you will bow down, everything's good. I'll let you go. But if you don't, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And what God, lowercase g, insulting, what God is going to save you from my wrath if I have to put you in that fiery furnace? But the three men replied to Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us, and he will rescue us from your hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, King, that we will not serve you or your gods. So in 19, this is interesting, just to show you how serious this is. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. His attitude toward them changed. He loved them before, but that's a whole different story. Now he doesn't love them because of their disobedience. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in the army to tie them up. Tie them up is bondage. Meshach, Abednego, uh, and Shadrach were thrown into the blazing fire. So they were bound and they were cast out or cast into. In verse 21, so these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound, bondage. And again, they were thrown, cast into the furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who brought them to the furnace But Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were thrown into or cast into the furnace. And these men, it says in verse 23, these three men firmly tied, firmly bound, fell into the furnace. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, a few moments later, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his adversaries, weren't there three men that we tied up and cast into the furnace? Why do I see four, and why are they walking around in the furnace? You can read the whole story, but it's so cool that the three men were thrown into the furnace. Those who put them there were burned to death because of the intense heat, but they were not consumed. They were not consumed because of their holiness in God's eyes, because that which belongs to God, which is connected to God, is associated as holy. And God's hands were all over them. His spirit was in them, and those men were protected. They didn't know what the outcome would be, but they didn't care. All they knew is that we will be with our Father regardless what happens. It says four times that they were bound and thrown into the furnace. They just want to make it perfectly clear that you understand they were completely bound, complete and total bondage, thrown into the furnace, but yet they were still able to walk around once they got in there. Now, the cool thing, when they came out of the furnace, not a stench of, of smoke on their bodies, nothing on their clothes, no signs of, of soot, no signs of any kind of blemish or tear or burn marks. They were complete and total perfect. That's a crazy story. You may think of Elijah when he was on Mount Carmel and he was going up against the Bell Prophets. And the bell prophets could not get their God to consume their sacrifice. But when Elijah called on the presence of God, the fire from heaven came down, lapped up every bit of that sacrificial meat, as well as gallons upon gallons of water. What kind of a fire consumes water? But the entire sacrifice was sucked up. And God proved himself that day. There's just so many cool stories of fire. On Pentecost Sunday, what appeared to be tongues of fire came and asserted itself and landed on each one of those people's heads. And it did not consume them to the point of destruction, but it completely consumed them as it sucked them up into God's presence. And his anointing was upon them. His power was upon them. And he was commissioning them at that point to send them out into the world as his witnesses. And as Matthew 28 says, Go ye therefore into all nations, baptizing, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you even unto the end. How is that possible? Because through his spirit, he will encapsulate us. And through us, he will accomplish his task. It is such an amazing aspect of fire that God uses that as an illustration of his presence. Fire. Tongues of fire danced upon their heads. When they spoke, it was like tongues of fire coming out of their mouths that was consuming the sin and the corruption of people, bringing them to a place of conviction and repentance. An amazing thing. I don't want to wear you out with all of this because there's just story after story after story after story. But I want you to think about this. Our holy and righteous God stands in our midst. He is here with us and he is inviting us to come to him so that he may consume you with his love and his grace and all that is good. Why in the world would anybody resist him? Why would anybody resist him? And some would say, well, he's never consumed me before. And the scriptures say this, you have not because you ask not. 
Have you ever invited God to just come into your life and consume you? All of the good, the bad, the ugly, just to consume you because he'll burn off all that chaff. He'll burn off all of that nonsense, the unholiness part, and he will just completely wash you white as snow. He will, he will just completely overwhelm you with grace and love and forgiveness, and he will restore you to the way he wanted you. Why would you not want that? Why would you not want that? And so I, I just pray as often as I can, Lord, please don't, don't quit consuming me. Don't quit consuming me. I want all of my thoughts to be your thoughts. I want my agenda to be your agenda. I want my desires to be your desires. And if that's not the case, then something's steering me the wrong direction. I've been steered the wrong direction before. I've crashed a few times. You know that, right? And I'm sure you probably crashed a few cars before too because you were the one steering, right? So why would we not just turn it over to the Lord and say, you know what, Lord? I've heard this before. The Lord is my co-pilot or the Lord is my spare tire. You know what? I want him driving the car. I want him to drive it because I just keep messing it up. I get lost, go down the wrong dirt. You know what I'm talking about. You've done it before too, right? And even with GPS, I'll still mess it up. I just want God to take over, and I pray that you will too. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you will continue to forgive our sins, but that you will also just consume us. Just come into our lives and consume us. Overwhelm us with your grace. Overwhelm us with your goodness. Call us by name, Lord, and let us not resist, but let us come running to you. In Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our closing. If you'd like to pray with anybody, um, I'd be more than happy to pray with you. we got elders that can pray with you, so just come. We want to pray with you.